Well, hello, With Gratitude Matt listeners. My name is Matt Moran, and I'm the host for the With Gratitude Matt Show. Our goal with the show is to inspire our listening audience to practice gratitude regardless of how powerful the storm is. One thing that I've learned about the practice of gratitude is it's really important to be present to those you're with. Oftentimes, you'll miss the gifts of gratitude that are right in front of you if you're not present to those you're with. Secondly, I think it's also really important to pay attention to how you're feeding your mind, your body, and soul. We still have to do our part, and that's our part. I've learned that the practice of gratitude works much like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. I'm so delighted to introduce you to today's guest. Today's guest is Danita Estrella Watts. She's the founder and CEO of Danita's Children. Danita was raised in children along with her brother. At 11 years old, her father took her on a mission trip to Haiti. It was 25 years later that she decided to actually move there and start doing some of the remarkable work that she's doing today. She ultimately decided to follow her calling, really when she saw children eating out of trash cans. And that's when she decided to open up Danita's children. Danita's children today serves as a, as a home for 80 orphans. They educate over 300 children on an annual basis, serve over 16,000 meals. In addition, there's a hospital there that staffs over 26 nurses and medical physicians. Danita's children has a mission statement that reads, to rescue, love, and care for orphans, impoverished children in Haiti, meeting their physical, emotional, educational, and spiritual needs, so they are empowered to become leaders in their communities and nations. Danita, it's such an honor to have you on today's show. Welcome to today's show, Danita. Thank you, Matt, for inviting me to be with you today. Absolutely. Well, so I think, you know, what might be a, an interesting place to start, I already touched on it in the introduction that you took a trip with your father at age 11, but maybe if you could share with our listening audience what life was like for you growing up and maybe even what motivated your father to take you on that trip. You know, if you would have asked me, I never would have dreamed that I would be the person that would move to Haiti and spend most of their life there. And I, I was actually born in New Jersey, and I would say that my home I spent most of my time in Florida. I grew up in Florida when I was younger. I lived in Puerto Rico. My mother was from Pennsylvania. My father was from Puerto Rico. And uh, my father, my family, they were a strong Christian family. And so I remember at a young age, being at a vacation Bible school, something that many of us either sent our children to or been part of. And when I was, yeah, when I was 10, there was a teacher taught the story of and tailor machinery. You know, I was a kid. I was 10 years old. This is why I believe it's so important that we, whatever we do, whether you're a teacher or in church or a Sunday school, it's not just an insignificant thing. Because during that one class, at the end of that week, I bowed my head and I said a prayer. Now, I forgot that prayer when I was older. I was 10. I said, Lord, one day, I want you to use me and I want to be a missionary. Well, forgot about that prayer. 
lived a life opposite of anything or anyone that would be thinking about being a missionary, but the Lord heard that prayer, and I also believe that there is a, uh, it was part of my assignment in life, and it just took a while for me to discover what my true purpose and assignment in life was. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Now, so it was some 25 years ago or later after that first trip to Haiti that you decided to ultimately move there. And I'd love to hear kind of what went into you really deciding to just pack your bags and buy a, a one-way trip to Haiti. Okay, so going back a little bit, when the when I was in that vacation Bible school, I was 10. At 11, my father did a missions trip flew to Haiti uh, because he was helping build a hospital um, in an island called Laganov. 25 years later, I uh, in Florida. And at that time, I was working at a church, and I really felt I was assisting the pastors and the staff there. And I really felt that I had a strong desire to go to the mission field. And every day for a year, I would go on a walk, and I would pray, and I just felt, I said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going, but I feel like you are, there's some place that you are uh, taking. And one day, there was a group of doctors that were going to the Dominican Republic and they needed an interpreter and being fluent in Spanish. They asked if I wanted to go with them. And so I spent several days in different villages interpreting for these doctors. But at the end of those few days with them, they said, we're going to cross the border and we're going to go into Haiti. And when we went into Haiti, something happened to me. My heart just began to beat a little faster. And as I looked at the children in the streets and eating in the trash cans, it moved me in a way that nothing ever has. And I remember that when we were leaving to come back to the U.S., a lot of people on the team were like, well, I can't wait to get back to the U.S. And in my heart, I was thinking, I can't wait to get back to Haiti. And I always tell people this was a very unique thing. So two months after that experience, I packed my bags and I moved to Haiti by myself. And that's where it all started. And it all started with that one trip. You touched on seeing the children eating out of trash cans. When we spoke, uh, when I heard you first speak, you touched on uh, an interaction with an, a, a man, a grown man, confronting a young boy that was eating out of a trash can, I think, picking up something off of the street. And you went and confronted the man because he was basically scolding the young boy. I'd love maybe if you could just share a little bit about that interaction and uh, the courage that it took for you to confront this man. Well, first of all, when I went to Haiti, I had a heart to serve, but I didn't have this big plan of what I was going to do. And while I was there, I served, I helped the schools. I helped children. I helped children's programs. I helped feeding programs. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, I don't want to do 50 different things. I want to do one thing and I want to pour my whole life into it. And I'll never forget this one night before I had what I'll call a defining moment. I cried myself to sleep one night. And I said, God, thank I had been in Haiti for almost a year. And I said, thank you, Lord, for sending me here but why am I here? I felt like there was a mission, a purpose, or an assignment that I had not discovered yet. 
And so that night I fell asleep praying and crying, why am I here? And I, the next day I had a defining moment. Like that's a moment that we can look back in our lives and say, you know, today, this day, my life was changed. And I believe that so many times we pray and we expect God to answer our prayers in a specific way. And yet he's speaking to us every day through people that he puts in our lives. And that's what happened to me. I was eating at a, uh, just an open air fried chicken restaurant and it was a market day. So there was literally thousands of children and people that on market day on the border, the border becomes open on the Dominican Republic in Haiti. And between the hours of eight and five o'clock without passports, without visa, you can cross the border to buy, sell and trade. So as I'm sitting there and I'm eating and I'm watching all of these street children and orphans, one by one, when someone would leave their leftovers or they would throw their leftovers into a trash can, the street children would come in, they would grab it from the plates from the trash can, and then they would sit in the street corner and share it, even if it was like chicken bones. And there was one particular child that was staring at me. He wouldn't take his eyes off of me, and he was the youngest, the smallest of all the children. And we made eye contact, and I knew what he was saying to me, even though he never spoke a word. He was telling me, don't give your leftovers to anyone else. Give it to me. And I motioned him so that he knew that, you know, I see you. And I went like this to wait. And as I was eating, I said, you know, why am I going to give him my leftovers? I'll wait till I'll t I'm done and I'll get him his own plate of food. Now, this is the day that I discovered what my purpose was. And before I had a chance to finish eating, I heard the screams of a child. And I look out the door, and it's the same child that we had just made eye contact with. And apparently there was a, a farmer who was had been herding his cattle that day, and he was angry at all of the street kids. He felt that they were a nuisance hanging out in front of the restaurant, and he decided to, he was going to teach them a lesson. So I don't know if he grabbed the boy that was closest to him, but he grabbed the youngest one and he dragged him to the street corner. And I always tell people that when I first went to Haiti, um, I was a shy, quiet woman. For most of my life, I struggled with the fear of failure. I would rather not try something and fail than take a risk. So going to Haiti for me was taking a huge risk. So. My previous self was a very shy, quiet woman, but that day when I saw this child being whipped and then I saw people gather around him in a circle to watch, I got out of my seat. I forgot who I was, where I was. I ran out to the street and I grabbed the man by the collar. I began to shake him and I began to plead for the boy to let him go. He was so startled and he threw the boy down. I was shaking. I picked the boy up. I went inside. I was teary-eyed, grabbed three plates of food because he had two friends. I walked him to safety to a couple of blocks away. I never saw that child again. But the day that I left there, I looked up and I said to the Lord, this is why you sent me here. They don't need to eat out of trash cans and they need to know that you love them. So from that day, instead of doing 
20 different things. I be, I had single vision. Everything had to do with children, children's education, children's emotional play, sports, children's hospital medical care, and children's spiritual discipleship. That is so beautiful. Uh, and as I hear you talk about that, Danita, it reminds me, we talked earlier uh, on the introduction at how important it is to be truly present. And that day, had you not been really present to where you were in your surroundings, you may not have truly found your calling. And today you have Danita's children who serves, as I talked about it, at home for 80 and, you know, the, the education that you're doing there, so on and so forth. You know, as you think about where Danita's children is today, what were some of the biggest struggles as you began to build that, you know, from essentially nothing early on? You know, faith isn't faith until it's tested. I was there by myself. I went there. Uh, the church I was uh, with, they committed to $200 a month of support. And through that $200 a month of support, the whole ministry was built. And it was truly a walk of faith. And sometimes those hard days are some of my favorite memories because everything that I needed or wanted or that the children needed required prayer, whether it was a children that was dying or I could I had my early journal. I was crying out to God. This is what I wrote. How am I going to feed all of these children? I was like overwhelmed. Do you know how many I had? 14. 14. Today we feed over 500 every day, over 16,000 meals a month. But that's where my faith was at. And so you start somewhere. And my faith back then was God, this is impossible. I hardly have any money. How am I going to do this? And, you know, it's just, it just starts at a time. So it, it, it amazes me, um, the Lord's provision. And I've learned that whatever you're called to do in life, God brings you just what I call destiny helpers. And whether it's, your teacher in first grade or your coach in high school. Of course, you know, your parents. Maybe it's it, it's a it's a certain mentor, whether it's a pastor or whatever. And the Lord did not use a certain denomination or what person. It was so many destiny helpers in my life. Some of them were there for a short season. Some of them have been there for twenty five years. But um I've learned that when the Lord wants to do something, he uses people. And every time I had a prayer request, it came in the form of a person, whether it was medical care, a doctor, a financial need, a businessman, someone who had the ability to help, um, who, you know, a word of encouragement from a friend. So, um, I'm very grateful for the destiny helpers that have been in my life. And so that's what I try to be now with all of these children is a destiny helper. Maybe they weren't able to go to school before, now they can. 
maybe free poor, they only ate three times a week. Now they can eat almost every day. So that's kind of how I, I see it. You know, what what's done for you, you turn around and you do for someone else. Beautiful, beautiful. Early on, you know, I know you, you've got a lot of infrastructure today. You've got the hospital, you've got the church. But there was question as to what should be built first. And um, I know that you uh, wrestled that with yourself and ultimately was the church that won out. And maybe talk a little bit about how that decision was made and how shortly after there that the, the church became much more than a church for, for the community there uh, that you serve. Well, as I told you, when I started out, I didn't have much. So our first building project was a thatched roof. So it was basically logs and a thatched roof that was like uh, 60 feet long and 50 feet wide. And underneath that thatched roof, we had about 200 children going to school. So the Bible says despise not small beginnings. You got to start somewhere. And so when we acquired property just like down the street, I was 100% sure that the first building was going to be school. But one day I went out there and I just sat under a tree and I prayed. And I just whispered a prayer to the Lord and I said, what do you see? And I already had plans. I already knew what it was. And afterwards, in my heart, I just felt like I was going the wrong direction. I really felt that the first building needed to be the church in the center of the property. It would be a multi-purpose building, not just a church to be used, not just a building to be used on Sundays. And that the same way that I had used a thatched roof to put 200 kids, Monday through Friday, I could divide up the church into classrooms to uh, school there. And then on the weekends, a lot of the parents of the children could come to the church and hear the same message of hope that the children were hearing, the message of Christ. And so plans totally changed. We built the church. The church was completed in 2004. Little did I know that this church would also be, well, in the earthquakes of 2010, when there were so many thousands of people that lost their lives or were displaced, children that lost their parents. We had over 75 some adults, mostly children, living in the church. And I thought that it was going to be, you know, maybe six months or so while we built new homes. It was over three years that we had them living in the church, and we just relocated the church to another building. And then when the floods hit the island um, in uh, 2004, then we brought the children in temporarily for a much shorter time they also lived in the church. So it has been um, a lighthouse, a place of safety, uh, not just, you know, spiritually, but also it literally was a school. It was a home. And now, of course, as the street grew, we were able to build a hospital so we no longer had to use the church. We were able to build eight additional homes so we no longer had to use the church. But starting out, we had to use what we had what was given to us. Absolutely. That's amazing. That is truly amazing. If you um, look back on you know, the, the the mission statement that I read earlier, 
you know, one thing that jumps out at me is is you do have prominently in there, um, you're trying to build leaders uh, in their communities and beyond, uh, but you clearly have a spiritual element of that, which I love. Um, how important is the spiritual side of what you're doing in serving these children and in, in, in their, their goals to have them you know, grow up into becoming leaders. How important is that spiritual element to what you see and in, in, in what they're experiencing? I think it's uh, very important because, first of all, they need to understand that they were created in the image of God. They need to know who they are in Christ. They are not what somebody said they were. They are not uh, an orphan that's unloved. They are not the, just a ch child that was abandoned by their father or their mother, but that they were created in the image of God and that they're loved. When you know who you are and you understand your identity and you grow up with principles, it doesn't mean that you're not going to miss the mark or fail, but the difference between a believer and a non-believer is when the storms come and they will they live with hope. And there is there is outer strength that you can get from friends and people, but there is an inner strength that only comes through Jesus Christ. And I want them to know what it is to have the inner strength. As they graduate, they go to college. We have a, more than, I think, 18 of our children in college right now, some in the States, some in Haiti. They're no longer under just a covering in our umbrella. They're living this life on their own and they have to learn how to make decisions. And in the school, we have to say Bible class. Bible class is important, but a lot of Bible class is information. Old Testament, New Testament stories, all stories in the Bible. One thing that I'm trying to emphasize, especially this year, is discipleship, because discipleship is more application. So application, how do I take this truth and apply it to, to my life? So I think it's very important. And I even look at my life. There, I was raised in a Christian home. And I turned away from it for about eight years of my life. But you know, it says, train up a child in the way you shall go. When he grows up, he won't depart from it. It doesn't mean they're never just going to, you know, make mistakes. But those seeds that were planted in me were deep enough that one day, those seeds that had been planted, they, they bore fruit so much that this person that for eight years was away from the things of the Lord end up changing their life and making the decision to serve the Lord in the mission field of Haiti. I was so encouraged to hear exactly how you answered that question and thought you'd answer it the way you did. I, I just can't imagine going through the hurdles that I've had to go through without strong faith. And I would imagine, I guess, follow-up question to that, but I would imagine many of these children, when you first see them, they come with no faith whatsoever. Is that fair to say? Some of them, um, their parents maybe died, and 
maybe they had a parent that was a Christian. But what you see a lot is that they only grew up with one parent, and it's usually just a mom. Many times, a lot of them, they never even met their father. So for a lot of my boys, maybe not so much now, but in the early years, they they uh, had a problem sometimes with with men, disrespecting them. They were really close with women because so many women in their lives, the women missionaries were strong. And I just think that, um, you know, through the, you know, discipleship and through loving them, um, they've moved on and now they have great relationships with father figures in their life. But one of the saddest things for me, Matt, having a children's home is not god's plan it's god's grace and for these children that their parents died of aids or for whatever reason they had one parent and that parent passed away having a safe place to where they feel loved um is just a you know the plan should have been mom dad family a father figure so one of the saddest things for me was that my children grew up without a father. They had a lot of women in their life. They were so hungry to be fathered for that father figure. And, um, you know, but God's grace. And as they go to college, they sometimes have host families and also several coaches have come into their lives. Um, you know, my husband, John, different people, um, they have learned what it is to have that relationship with that figure, and they crave it. They crave that having that, the love of a father. You know, you touched on, you know, a number of your children are studying college today. Uh, you know, I spent some time as I was preparing for today, just going out to your website, and there are some beautiful pictures of some older children, and many of which have been with you since the time they were in kindergarten. So you, you've spent basically, you know, call it 18, 20 years of your life. What does it mean to you as you see them learning and doing some of the things that they're doing today? I think it's one of the greatest blessings in my life. It's like this long, some things that we do in life have a quick kind of reward. You know, you get to see the results immediately. This has been a long-term investment. And as I always tell my friends or partners, when I look back on the last 25 years, it's not the buildings um, the where I could truly see the, the impact is when I look at my kids. And it's almost like a movie that I play in my mind. Each one of them has a story. And I remember them when they were five years old. And, you know, in the month of May was a busy May, was a busy month for us. Um, I had three college graduations, and one of my boys got married all within the same month. And it was really busy, but wow. I was like, you know, I'm so grateful that I get to see it come full circle. I get, it's not like, oh, I was with them for the, you know, till sixth grade, and I don't know what happened to them. But to see it come full circle, and several of them are now married, now they're having um, children of their own. And um, I got a, a sweet text from one of my one of my boys, my daughter-in-law, and she said, you know, 
I was having a conversation with him today, and he was telling me that on Sunday mornings he used to play really nice instrumental, like soft music, worship music. He's saying, I want my kids to grow up like that. I want us to play that music. And it really just touched me because it was just something that I did. I didn't even know that he remembered it. But to hear her say, I want my kids to grow up like that is like, wow, you never know the things that they're going to remember or the little things that will impact their lives later. That is amazing. It, you know, the, the impact that you're having on so many lives, it really is. You know, I touched on earlier, we all face hurdles in life. You're experiencing the hurdles that the children in Haiti face each and every day. As we connected a couple of weeks ago, you shared with me a hurdle that you faced in your own life over the last couple of years. And I, th I think it would be interesting for our listening audience to hear, one, how you addressed that hurdle, how you faced it, and ultimately how you really got stronger through going through that particular uh, health scare that you had. Well, I've always been blessed with great health. And I wasn't taking any, you know, medications, you know, I was doing great. And it, almost exactly a year ago, almost exactly a year ago this time, um, I was uh, back in Nashville when I'm not in 80 now, I'm in the actually Franklin area. And I woke my husband up like at three in the morning. I said, something's not right. My heart is racing. And... I kind of ignored it and it happened the next night and the next day I tried to climb up a pair of uh, a flight of stairs and I almost passed out and I said to him I think I have COVID um, let's go take me to get tested and when I went got tested it came back negative and they said um, why don't you go ahead and go to the ER and I'm just like when I went to the ER I told him listen um, I don't take any medication except just one, and it's no big deal. I just take this medication for my thyroid, so maybe it's just that. And they tested my, my blood pressure, my heart rate, and all of a sudden, there were like five doctors that just run into this ER, and I know this is not good. And um, my blood pressure was dangerously high, and... From then on, they referred me to a cardiologist, and I found out that I needed heart surgery and that I needed to get it as soon as possible. And there was no blockage. You know, my calcification score was zero, but my valve, my valve was damaged and it needed to be repaired and it needed to be done as soon as possible. So... One day, I think I have this great health and everything is fine. The next day, or, you know, over the next period of weeks, I'm planning to have heart surgery. I remember I asked a doctor because he planned it out like, you know, like, okay, in three weeks, you're going to have this surgery. I said to him, can I go back to Haiti one more time? Just, just one more time. Because, you know, you know things are going to be fine. But... You know, you just want to go back one more time. And he said, he hesitated and he said, okay, sure. So I got on a plane and thinking I was going to make it back to Haiti. When I go to back to Haiti, I actually fly into the Dominican Republic. And when I got into the Dominican Republic, same thing happened. And the very next day, I needed to fly back to Nashville 
And then I knew this, this was serious and I needed to take care of it. So on August 15th of last year, I had um, heart surgery, had a wonderful doctor in Vanderbilt. And um, so, so very grateful. But the, the surgery itself, and this is why it sounds strange to say this, was not the hardest part. The hardest part was after the surgery uh, for nine weeks. It was nine weeks before I went back to Haiti was what I walked through. My emotions, the depression, everything that I went through, not feeling like myself and could not be around people. It was hard to talk on the phone. It was hard to, to, to go out in public. I found myself just staying in the room. So it was, it was a really hard time. And it, and I went through a season, I don't know, of weeks of not being able to sleep. And when you can't sleep, uh, it opens a door for depression to set in. And, um, and I began to question a lot of things. I lost my self-confidence. I lost, I didn't feel like myself. I can't even explain it. And as I began to do research, I found out that that is part of the healing process. And some people it lasts longer. Some people it's uh, shorter. And nine weeks after the surgery, um, first I went to a wedding. I stopped at a wedding. And then from there, I went to Haiti. And I could probably say that my, when I say healing, my emotional state began to turn around when I was back in Haiti and when I was taking the focus off myself and putting my eyes back on the needs of others and just being around people that loved me, being around my kids, being around my Haitian family, my family in Haiti, that is where I began to see a, uh, a turnaround. And every person has what they call safe place. And for me, my safe place is, you know, my husband, my kids, and but it's my family in, in Haiti. But it was a really hard, people that have had heart surgery will t always talk about a depression that they go through and how they don't feel like themselves for a, a long time. That's unbelievable. And uh, it sounds like, you know, uh, just to hear you talk about it, you know, you focusing on the children, you focusing on other people. And I think so often people that are depressed, they get so self-centered and so f focused on the self and think that the, the world revolves around them. And, and it clearly doesn't. And I'm so happy that you're, you've responded well and you're getting stronger each and every day. So... Thank you. Congratulations to that. Thank you. You know, with the show around gratitude and you're, you're living around, you know, such poverty, such depressed environment, when you think about gratitude in Danita's children, what, what comes to mind most for you? You know, I, I would say the faithfulness of God in my life. And of all, I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for 
the children that are there. But I always tell people, it, when I went to Haiti, I feel like it was the call of God that took me there. But it's the presence of God that keeps me there. And I am so very grateful for his presence. I have had some horrible, hard times in Haiti. I survived being there in 2004 when the rebels took over the country. I was there during the earthquake. I was there during floods. I went through some hard times in our town. But through it all, um, the presence of the Lord strengthened me. And I'm just so very grateful for my family, for the power of prayer, and for friends. And let me just say this about prayer. If God doesn't change the one thing that I'm praying about, he changes the way I feel about it. In other words, that I may be, you know, praying for this to happen or that to happen, but I've really learned um, to trust the Lord. And, you know, the Bible says he gives the peace of God that surpasses understanding in Philippians 4, 7. The problem with me is that I want the peace of God with understanding. But he says in Philippians 4, 7, that he gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. So I don't understand why I'm peaceful. This is not, you know, I'm having a hard time right now. I have the peace. I can't even explain why I have the peace. But the Lord of God gives me the peace that surpasses understanding. So I'm just grateful for my family and grateful for his presence um, in my life. That is so beautiful. You know, as we wrap up, Danita, you know, I close each show very similarly. We talk about hurdles that each and every one of our guests have been involved in. And I often think that through hurdles in life or the obstacles that we face in life, sometimes those are the greatest learning moments. Sometimes those are the greatest uh, educational moments that we can have as individuals. And as you think about your life and the ups and downs that you've had, is there any one particular hurdle that you have that has been foundational in terms of allowing you to grow into the woman that you are today, the leader that you are today for the children that you serve? Uh, if, if so, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, that hurdle or obstacle that you had to face. You know, as I briefly touched on it a little bit earlier, for most of my life, I struggled with fear of failure. So it was safe for me to sit on the sidelines. And it really mattered to me, um, people's opinion, what they said, too, too much. And so I tried to stay in the safe zone. My decision to go to Haiti was the first time in my life, the first time that I said, because a lot of people told me I was making a mistake. A lot of people told me, some people that I really cared about told me I wouldn't last six months, but that's okay. When I came back, they would be there for me. When I went to Haiti, it was for the first time that I made a decision, regardless, sink or swim, I'm gonna trust God, I'm gonna follow my dream this is something that I've been thinking about. I'm going to follow my dream. And so going to Haiti was the first time in my life that I was like, 
I'm free from this fear of failure. There's no failure when you're obeying God. And um, one of my favorite quotes was from Charles Stanley. He said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. And, um, and in these last 25 years, it'll be 25 years in January, I don't know who said it first, but for many years, I've always heard that yesterday's suffering becomes tomorrow's ministry. So when I went to Haiti, it's not like I had this plan. I'm going to move to Haiti and I'm going to do this. I just went there to serve and everything evolved. So because there was a child that was hungry, it evolved into a feeding program. Because there was children that suffered without education, it evolved into a school. And because I used to be on a bus for five hours trying to take our children for medical care, we built a hospital for children. So all of that suffering, those early years, I would not want to go back to have to redo all of those early years. But that suffering then helped us be uh, where we are today. Danita, what a blessing it was that you actually had the courage to make the decision that you did back in back 25 years ago and you know today you look at look at what you, you you're doing i mean you're you're sir you've got over 80 children living with you uh day in and day out you're educating over 300 you're serving over 16,000 meals it's just amazing work that you're doing and thank you let me say this thank you we we have over 120 staff so we have 26 nurses we have 36 teachers, we have house moms, and we have some missionaries, we have a dentist, we have cooks in the kitchen. And so it's a labor of love. The, the ministry is Hope for Haiti Children's Center, also known as Danita's Children. Um, but it would be nothing without the amazing staff and the stateside staff that we have that, that makes it happen. And of course, our partners, that if some of them have been with us for 25 years. That is beautiful. And thanks for adding uh, the, the details around that in there. We'll, we'll make sure in the show notes that we include uh, your website and how the listeners here can learn more about what you're doing and, and even how they can help support the mission work that you're doing. And it's such an honor to have you on today's show. I'll go back to where we started. It's you know, listening audience, I think it's really important that we do find the courage to be grateful each and every day, regardless of how powerful our storm is. Truly be present to those you're with. If not, you'd be amazed at the the gifts that you're missing and that are right in front of you. Uh, and then lastly, pay attention to how you're feeding your mind, body, and soul. These are really important in order for us to live to our fullest self. Today's guest was Danita Estrella Watts the leader of Danita's Children in Haiti. If today's show inspired you in some way, shape, or form, subscribe to the show, comment on it, and share it with others. With Gratitude Matt listeners, until next time, find the courage to be grateful. Godspeed, my friends.